Welcome back. We are recording for our third straight week on We Got a Memo podcast. Just coming back from an amazing championship Sunday, AFC Championship, NFC Championship were yesterday. Um, I think I can speak for most of us when we were very happy with the games themselves. Maybe not the results we wanted, but uh, I don't think as a fan you could argue with those games. Just got to say real quick, I was on... On the Twitter a lot. I think I was the only one who tweeted this past weekend. I do not speak for Roland. He is clearly a Patriots fan. Um, but you know, you know what? I was just, I was giving my opinion. I don't speak for everyone on the podcast. Um, but that's okay. Yeah, if I insult the Patriots, it's all in good fun. Um, and but like I said, the games were incredible. Um, with a few things that. I wasn't a fan of, which we will get to very shortly. Um, but like I said, an amazing weekend. Uh, let's go over our picks. The only we all got Chiefs versus Pats wrong. We all picked the Chiefs, which looking back, it's kind of dumb to pick against New England. Like I think that was hard for all of us. Um, but I guess we all thought Chiefs were gonna take this one, which they very well could have. Yeah, I mean it just looked right. It did. It seemed like like the right call, as absurd as that sounds. It's just, you know. Yeah, of course. And then for the NFC Championship game, Xavier and myself were correct picking the Rams, who won in overtime. Roland and John, you picked the Saints. Also, very good pick. But shake up in the standings. Now, with one game remaining left in the season... Myself, Xavier, and John are four and three, and Roland very much alive at three and four. So it's going to come down to Super Bowl picks and scores if we need to. So what we're going to do this episode is we're going to just do a recap of the championship games, a very surface level thoughts on the Super Bowl prelim picks, and then next week we'll dive more deeply into the Super Bowl and change our picks and make our score predictions. But we're going to start with the games this Saturday. The first game, NFC Championship game, went to overtime. The Rams beat the Saints on a bomb of a field goal. Greg Zerline drilled a 57-yarder to win the game. I think it could have gone from 67. But um, anyone, I think the biggest thing we have to talk about is the refs. Specifically, the one missed pass interference call on cornerback Nick, uh, Roby Coleman. He, uh, I, I'm sure everyone's seen it. He absolutely drilled the guy way before the ball got there. Very obvious P.I. Um, refs just missed it. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, it, it should be the Saints, honestly, in the Super Bowl. Because if that gets called, the Saints can run out the clock and kick a field goal. So, it easily could have been the Saints and not the L.A. Rams. But, I mean, they made a mistake, and you can't change it. So, L.A. found the way in. Yeah, real quick on that, the NFL is going to officially announce that they missed that call. So they know it. I think they unofficially said it to Sean Payton, um, but they're going. The I guess the league office is going to say we messed up on this one, and there's a lot that's been generated from this. I mean, Michael Thomas is calling for Roger Goodell to reverse the result of the game, which I guess he can do uh, according to his rules. What? I mean, obviously, you know, he's a Saints receiver. He lost. He's yeah. he he's very you know he's very adamant about. Believing his team should be in the Super Bowl. Um, me personally, obviously, when I first saw the play, I thought, I didn't think anything of it. Because it was so quick. I was just like, oh, he just missed the like incomplete pass. Receiver hit him afterwards. But then after I saw the replay, you, you obviously v- really saw it. But at first yeah. glance, I didn't see it. 
so I can understand why the refs missed it. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously that makes me sound like an idiot, but uh, to be completely honest, when I saw it first time, I was just like, oh, okay, bang, bang, play, they just missed the call. When when did that happen? Was that within the last two minutes? Yes, that was yeah. as the... That was right after the two-minute warning. It was first and goal. I thought all plays were reviewed in the last two minutes. No, not every play. It's just the booth decides when to review a call. Say that it's, feeds into your NFL's rig theory. Well, no, it's not pass interference calls. Too. They, I don't think they can look at those. Correct. No, currently, they cannot. There are talks about changing that rule yeah. because yeah. of this. But yeah. as of yesterday, pass interference is not reviewable. Yeah, I just think the way he hit him, like he didn't even have the ball. Like, yeah, it was close, like the where the ball was and where the player was. I just think the way he hit him without even having the ball, I think kind of should have been a hint to the refs that, yeah. oh, that was a flag. Just, I don't know, he straight up hit him. Without having, like, I, I don't think, I don't know. That's just the way I looked at it. Yeah, if he, let's say the guy caught the ball, would yeah. that have been a legal hit? Maybe, maybe not. I yeah. don't know. There, there was some helmet stuff in there, oh, too. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I think the, so I, I might be a little biased a little bit at this point, because I, I watched... A good amount of uh, the herd with Colin Cowherd uh, today, just because I wanted to see his, you know, his takes on everything that happened, and that is one of the bigger stories, um, as well as overtime rules, which I don't know, we get is not the topic at the moment. Um, but yeah, so the fact of the matter is, is the Saints. First off, they they made a wrong call in deciding to to throw the ball versus running out the clock. Um, but, it, uh, you know, it shouldn't have come down to something like that. These, the fact of the matter is, is one play, you know, there's a whole game to be played. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is after, after the first, you know, two quarters, the Saints kind of got sloppy and, settled for field goals when they should have gone for it. Um, the Rams, you know, got back into it after a very, very jarring start, it seemed. Um, and, you know, one team was was there more than the other uh, towards the end of that game. And, you know, then it comes down to, you know, who gets the ball in overtime. The Saints had the ball. Right. I think you're exactly so, right. The refs also missed the face mat call against the Saints. I, I, I listened to the exactly. herd too, um, but that one put, could have put the Rams up. I think it would have been twenty four twenty, and it's a completely different game. So I think you're exactly right. Um, one play does not define the game. Kudos to the Rams for coming back when the Saints were clearly dominating. And you know, the, you're right. The Saints had a chance in overtime. Sorry. Yeah, I think, you know, um, there's there's tons of missed calls that happen, and I think, you know, it is playoffs. I think, you know, we talked about this last week. You know, the refs are going to let them play a little bit more. Uh, if there's that pushing and shoving going on on both sides, you know, they're, they're going to let it play out a little bit more. And that was, that was very clear last week, uh, and I think, you know, they continued with it. I do think, I mean, when... It's clear that it was a very blown call um, because he was, you know, up in the air, essentially defenseless, and just got rocked by this guy. So, um, and at a key moment, too. But it sucks. I think it would have been cool to see uh, Brady Breeze in the Super Bowl. That would have been a really fun matchup. But Yeah. John, Xavier, um, give us your thoughts on the game. Anything. I think the greatest um, result is that Saints fans are pretty much done for the season. Because <laughs> they've been pretty obnoxious on social media. Yeah, I actually saw something really funny. It was one of it was like a map of the U.S. and it was just like who 
who's who is rooting for what team and it's like 95 of the country is rooting for the Rams. Obviously, New England is rooting for the Patriots. And then the state of Louisiana is just empty because they're not rooting for either team. So I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I didn't watch too much of that game from what I saw. Second half, the Saints got arrogant and sloppy. And they got, you know, bitten. they got bit in the end. So they got what they deserved, and I'm excited because Todd Gurley is expected back in the Super Bowl, and he'll be eager and hungry. And so there's going to be the faith in the underdogs. So they'll have the underdog fire as uh, as the Rams, but on the other side, you have the momentum of the Patriots. So hopefully, it's just a great game. Yeah, Xavier. Uh, I thought it was entertaining. Uh, how loud it was in the Superdome. Like, how much the offensive line and Jared Goff had so many communication issues. Like, it was amazing how much Jared Goff had to, like, run over to an offensive lineman or even a wide receiver to tell him to play. Um, So I I, I thought that was entertaining to watch. But just going along with that last play, too, um, I, I said this before, the Saints easily should be in the Super Bowl because if that call gets... Um, if the refs call that pass interference at the end, uh, it's first and goal. They can run out the clock. They can kneel a couple times and then kick a field goal to end the game. So I just think, I mean, yeah, obviously the refs made a mistake, but you can't do anything about it. So you have to keep playing. But that just, it stinks for them because they should be in. Yeah, it really stinks that the refs can have such an impact on any game. Especially this one in such a big, you know, situation leading to the Super Bowl. Also, though, if you look at the play, if the corner was just looking for the ball, he could have had a pick six. That was, yeah. yeah. So there was a lot going on in that play. Obviously, it ended out a certain way, and I'm pretty sure even Rams fans would admit that was a bad call. Yeah. And I think the biggest takeaway... Well, one of the biggest takeaway from the whole weekend, not just this game, is the lack of consistency in officiating, mm-hmm. um, which I'll talk... There's one, a couple things in the, the AFC game which I took note of, but that, for me, it's just like the whole season. Refs not being consistent with calls on a game-to-game basis or even within a game. Um, so, yeah. But if unless anyone has something more they want to add, like I said, great game. Young versus old, Rams came out on top. Everyone good? Yeah. yeah. Um, just real quick, the one of the interesting things I, you know, as I'm like driving around doing some last minute errands before the game and stuff, they're talking about the refs uh, who are who are going to be refing these games, and um, the, the one of one of the refs in the Rams Saints game was a ref for the Rams' two previous losses, so against the Saints last time, and I forget who the Rams lost to, um, the other team that the Rams lost to, but, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Um, but so there were there was a petition going around to get him removed as a ref because they're like, well, you know, we never win with this ref this season. So there were 800,000 signatures from Rams fans wow. that, that wanted – that ref to be removed and I, th- I just think it's funny that it came down to officiating is that the that was before the game started that petition yeah. okay yeah yeah i think that ref i think i know what you're talking about that ref was oh and eight when officiating rams game or the rams were oh and eight when officiating when the game was officiated by that ref yeah so i just thought it was interesting and the fact that it came down to you know, the refs blowing a call for right. the Rams to ultimately win it. Right. Yeah. So. I think a lot of people will focus on the call, but, you know, you can't change that. And then, this, like you said, the Saints had a chance to win it in overtime. They didn't do anything with it. I, is that when Drew's... He threw a pick. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He threw the pick. The Rams just... I know it's easier for the Rams to move on from that call. Granted, they tied it up in overtime, so they probably had a little bit of momentum. But realistically, for me, when it comes to overtime, 
the previous 60 minutes don't matter. It's who can score first, and the Rams got it done. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, let's move to the AFC game. Uh, the first time both championship games had gone to overtime, the Patriots won this game 37-31. to And probably I have the most exciting game I watched all year. I was so invested in this game. Each play, I was... If you ask my roommate, I was losing my mind. Like, it was such a great game, especially in the second half. Um, Pat Mahomes not on top of his game in the first half. Patriots obviously were. I think the the Chiefs kind of just survived the first half to be in the game in the second half. Um, but, Roland, why don't you uh, start off with being the Patriots fan? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that you just said, you know, the... The way that the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes played in the first half, they were they were lucky that they were in a uh, in a position to, to come back second half. Um, they're they're lucky they got away with uh, was it only fourteen down? Yeah, going into going out of halftime. So, uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a fun game to watch. I agree. Both both of these games, it, and that's how championship weekend should be is like these really close games. I think we were all kind of disappointed a little bit with the divisional round. Um, all the games were blowouts except for the Eagles-Saints game. Um, so the fact that both these games were, you know, they had the good momentum shifts and, you know, it was a really good, like, you know, story to follow through the game. Um, and then, you know, for them to go into overtime on both of them uh, was just really exciting. Uh as far as Patriots go, um, I don't know. It's exciting. Uh, you know, nine. This is Tom Brady's ninth ninth appearance uh, in the Super Bowl. I just think it's a. Uh, that's crazy that the Patriots have such a have are have established such a. I mean, a, I don't want to say dominance. They've been yeah, really dominant. Dominance uh, over. You know this twenty-year span, um, so I—it's crazy to think about. Yeah. I, I don't even know what to say. Still, yeah, John Zay, <laughs> yeah. chime in. Uh, so, I—I I think Mahomes was not only were all the cheat like the Chiefs' offense was just out of sync the first half, but I thought specifically Mahomes was. He missed throws that he usually makes. Um, I just think, I don't know if it was the cold weather because it was so cold, but it was just, and Tom Grady's used to playing in the cold, so there's no surprise that he made, you know, throws in the first half. But I just thought he was off on his accuracy, Mahomes. Um, I think we'll probably getting get into officiating later, like Michael said, but I just think, again, things... I mean, things got a little interesting in the second half in overtime, but uh, I think in the end, though, I think, again, like you guys said, it was a good game. Uh, We're just happy to see two solid games this weekend. Yeah, that was a solid game. That last, right before halftime, before when the Patriots pulled into the lead and Tom Brady just marched them down the field. I think that's just proves why he's in contention to be one of the greatest to be in contention for the greatest of all time he's definitely factually the one of the greats but this his ability to do that when it's necessary i think puts him up there in the argument it was just a great game to watch it was really fun from someone still getting into the nfl i had a, i was glued to it it was great the whole game was so fun and i think we're seeing the future with pat mahomes he was wonderful in the second half. He was, I think, four for eight in the first half, and then, you know, he, as soon as the second second half started, he was, you know, eight for twelve, which is a much better percentage. And the way that Pat Mahomes trains himself, he's not just practicing the runs; he's practicing those no looks, the the side arms, and I think if he keeps continuing that, he'll be an incredible quarterback and I hope to see the Chiefs do well again yeah I um I can't argue with you there I think with Tom Brady he's just been in that situation 
Like, he's been in nine Super Bowls. So he's been in that situation. He's played in cold weather, worse weather than that game. There, there's just nothing he hasn't seen. Um, so I knew going into the game the Chiefs are going to have to really be on top of their game. Any team will have to be on top of their game to beat the Patriots. Like, next in two weeks, the Rams are going to have to be unbelievably composed and disciplined to beat the Patriots. But it was... I think we should talk about this on another podcast, but just GOAT conversations in general, you know, LeBron, Jordan. But when you said that, John, talking about Tom Brady being one of the greatest of all times, just off the top of my head, there's no one that I could really say that could compare, right? To go to nine Super Bowls is ridiculous, you know? So, and people will be like, oh, Tuck Rule saved him. Vinatieri saved him twice, whatever, all that, or Seahawks should have run the ball, like, don't give me that, like, it's a team sport, Is this game really showed me how much I hate the Patriots. Every play, every play, man. Exactly, the Patriots... Take 60 minutes. Yeah. Spygate, deflategate. Right, I mean, there are so many things like that, but I hate them if you want, but you can't argue with the results, and... If it was your team, like for me, if it was the Bills, let's, it's obviously not, but if it was reversed, it was if it was the Bills, if it was the Steelers, and your team had gone through everything the Patriots had gone through, you would react the same as Patriots fans now would. So it, it's all about perspective. Um, my biggest... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah, definitely. Um, but my biggest takeaways from the game were Pats were unbelievable. I think the Chiefs were extremely lucky to be down only 14 to nothing when Tom Brady threw that red zone pick. And yeah. the Chiefs were unable oh, to... God, that, that one. <laughs> yeah, that play looked ugly. <laughs> right. Um, the Chiefs really were not able to capitalize on anything in the first half. Like that pick, they could have couldn't move the ball. And then that one drive, I for, I don't remember when it was, but they were in field goal range, and then Pat Mahomes took a sack and knocked them out of field goal range, mm-hmm. right? Like, even that three points was big. Um, and it, just throughout the game, it always looks like Mahomes was always going for the big play, which is great, but, like, before the Patriots went down to tie it or take the lead with two minutes left, I was just like, all right, you're in field goal range. Just slow it down. You know, for the whole game, run the ball a little more. Don't always throw it. But when they scored the go-ahead touchdown, I was just like, you gave Brady too much time with three timeouts left. Like, like I get it, but, like, come on. Like, your defense hasn't stopped them the whole game. But, you know, they played their game, so it was good. Yeah, um, I don't know who could have made that kick when Mahomes got out of field goal range with the sack. Rodrigo Blankenship, yep, maybe. Yep. Probably could have. Without a doubt. <laughs> um, Rex Beck wonder. But no, that, that, it was definitely one of the greatest games. One, because it was so back and forth, but unlike the Chiefs and Rams game in like week 9 or 10, there was defense. You know, I, I'm all for tons of scoring, but I enjoy those games where it's composed of the whole team. So that was me. Other takeaways, D Ford and that offsides penalty was brutal because I think that took away an interception. Um, and then that roughing the passer call that they called on the Chiefs where Chris Jones basically just slapped Brady over the shoulder. Like, it didn't really oh, yeah. hit his head, but they called it. That bothered me, not because they called it. Well, it did, because it gave him a first down. But also yeah. because there was one very similar that the Patriots did to Patrick Mahomes that they didn't call. Yeah. So that and just goes back the to the consistency of the refs. And I think he had a, okay, the same guy had a similar hit earlier in the game that wasn't called. Right. So I'm. It's. It's for me, it's just like, if you're going to call it then, you have to call it earlier. If you're not going to call it earlier, don't call it now. It's just you got to be consistent. I don't know about you, but soccer's pulling ahead in the video-assisted referee game. Yeah, well. That was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But that, and then the last thing I had was, I understand the Patriots. They did. They got the ball in overtime. They scored a touchdown. They won the game. I I I don't know exactly how, but I think there needs to be some rule change, where each team is guaranteed a possession. Yeah. Regard like if they score a touchdown, give the other team a chance to score a touchdown, and then you go for the winner takes all or something like that. Yeah. I haven't thought about it a lot, but like. Yeah. It happened with Pat Mahomes, with Matt Ryan in the Super Bowl two years ago. That's what I was gonna say. Um. With Aaron Rodgers against the Seahawks, I think a few... When the Seahawks went on to the Super Bowl, it's just like, give them a chance first. And I could be way off, like I said. I haven't thought about this a lot. But, like, I think you just give each team a chance whether the team scores a touchdown in the first possession or not. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of people agree. I'm honestly surprised that uh, after that Super Bowl there wasn't a rule change it's, it, at, at the very least for playoffs you know it's not like you're really I understand that you have a lot of games going on you know the coverage and like TV uh, timing and all that you know it's it's kind of like a tricky thing to try and manage uh, but when the championship is on the line and Matt Ryan is just sitting on the bench watching Tom Brady march down the field. I mean, he, he even said, yeah, I just took my helmet off because I knew what was happening, and I just, you know, watched it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy that you can go to the Super Bowl or be fighting to go to the Super Bowl, and you just have to sit there and watch it happen and hope that your defense can make a play. Um, it's crazy that, I mean, the Rams got lucky. Yeah. With, with the Drew Brees pick. Otherwise, you know, who knows what would have happened. Uh, Will Lutz is a good kicker. The Rams would have had to either, at the very least, probably, you know, kick a field goal to try and send it back over to the Saints or try and score the touchdown to win it. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I think uh, a lot of people are referencing the college football overtime rules. Um, so that's definitely an option, you know. It's yeah. something that they got to figure out. Yeah, for yeah. those that don't know, the college football rule is a team will start on their opponent's 25-yard line and have to score. And then the other team has a chance to answer from the 25-yard line. And it goes back and forth until one team doesn't convert. Yeah. Um, I, I've thought... I, John, I want you to chime in too, but I... I thought about that too, and earlier this season I was just like, just adopt the college one. But then I tried to watch the LSU-Texas A&M game that went to seven overtimes. Yeah. And then, you you don't want that. Like, then the game just gets sloppy and more turnovers, more injuries. Right. And it just, I don't think you want that, but I don't, you know, there's got to be, you're right, there has to be some change. John, I, w- I want to know what you think about all this. Yeah, I think... To have a game decided on a coin toss, I think even just for mostly neutral like me, as soon as I saw the Patriots get it, it was like, I just thought to myself, okay, that's it. You know, Tom Brady's just going to march them down the field. They're not going to have a chance to respond. I'm just going to hope that the defense can make a play, which they had been doing. So I had some hope and some valid reasons, but it was still just... The, you know, Pat Mahomes took his helmet off. Yeah. Right, and I, I say that as a Patriot, I guess I'm a hater. Like, I just don't dislike the Patriots, but I respect them. But I'm not saying the rules need to change because the Patriots won. I think the rules need to change regardless, you know. Yeah. I, I think that, I think teams, I think they, especially in the playoffs, you need to put pressure on both defenses. Like, you can't just let one defense get put on the field and expect them to stop a team, especially like Tom Brady. Like, I think the Patriots defense should have to go out there, too, and have to stop Patrick Mahomes, you know? Like, I just I just don't think it's fair to the Chiefs, you know, defense to have to go out and stop Tom Brady and then game's over. Right. Like, both defense should 
de- both defenses should be put under pressure. Yeah, that way it makes it a whole team effort. In the, yeah. The exactly. Yep. And Max Kellerman, on first take, sounded like a complete idiot when he said this, but I understood what he said. He said Tom Brady was lucky to win that game because he won the coin toss. In a way... I get what he's saying, and I guess he's right, because if Pat Mahomes had gotten the coin flip, they probably would have won. So in that sense, Tom Brady was lucky. But to say the reason he won was completely based off luck when Tom Brady played an amazing game. I've never liked Max Kellerman, but I got what he was saying, but he just sounded like an idiot saying it. I don't know if we're big enough to start taking shots. I can do whatever okay. I want, Roland. Yeah, we can say whatever. All right, all right. If I just here's the thing that got me mad was, um, again, Johnny Roland, you're gonna laugh at me, but the officiating in this game drove me nuts. And like Michael, you brought up some good points about uh, the inconsistency, um, but just some of the like, okay. You guys can disagree with me on this, but that catch by um, Chris Hogan, I think, it was in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the one-handed um, one where it was bobbled and they called it a catch. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kansas City challenged it, and it was like third and eight, and they Kansas City challenged it, and the call stood, and Patriots got a first down. That was not a catch. Ground helped him catch the the ball, so I just I don't know. I just think there's no inconsistency, like we said, and some of those calls annoyed the heck out of me. But I mean, what can you do? I just and I agree with what you said, Michael, about if you know the, the Chiefs got it first, they could have gone down the field and scored. So it's 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 tough. I think some things needs to need to be changed. Yeah. Well, we'll uh. If there's anything more, I guess we'll talk about it next week or we'll tweet about it. Um, but let's just wrap up NFL for this week. Well, I think next week will be much more heavier NFL because Senior Bowl will wrap up. Super Bowl's coming up. So we're just going to do our prelim picks um, for the Super Bowl. Obviously, this is subject to change. It's not final. We're not going to lock in until next week, but just what's everyone thinking? Let's start with Roland. Uh, um, One word answer. Like Pats. 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 Xavier. Uh, Patriots. John. Rams. I am also going to go with the Pats. I bet against the Patriots against the Chargers. I bet against them this week. I'm not making that mistake again um, unless something big happens. But I will say, shout out to the Rams using the throwback uniforms. I love those uniforms. They look amazing. I do too. Um, So we're going to talk about that more next week as Super Bowl week approaches. But now we are going to move on to... What do we got, guys? The Sports Illustrated 2019 Fittest Athletes. All right. The magazine came out, and I'm not, I don't have a problem with the top, you know, five or ten. Number one is Saquon Barkley. Number two is Cristiano Ronaldo. Number three is Giannis Antetokounmpo. 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 Nice try, though. The Greek Freak. Novak Djokovic is four. And then Kevin Mayer, a decathlete, is five. But if you scroll down, or scroll up, in the 20s is Jim Walmsley, an ultra-marathoner. And this also goes into my sports moment of the week. He's 23 or 24. He should at least be in the mid-teens. How old is he? Jim Walmsley's like 26. Oh, okay. There's just a picture that makes him look very old. <laughs> yeah, he's his curly hair doesn't really help him there. But he's, you know, mid-20s. What he did this past weekend at the Houston Half Marathon, he ran a 64 flat, which is a Olympic trials qualifier. 
what he did in the summer was he set the course record at the Western States 100 mile run in California, which is the Super Bowl of ultra running, at least for Americans. But that's an 840 or like an 830 pace for 100 miles. And then he jumps down to a little bit below five minute pace. I think just the fitness required to do that between 100 miles and 13.1 does pushes should push him up higher on the list. Most and Mary Katani, a women's Olympic marathon champion, she's in the mid-teens, so I think just to have some parity. The women's list also has a much wider range of athletes. Simone Biles, a gymnast, is number one, yeah. and they have a lot more bobsledders. And so I really like the women's list because it feels more inclusive. Also, side note, CrossFit athletes are terrifying. Those people are monstrous. Yeah, when I looked at this list, I did not recognize many of them because, like, there's cyclists on here. I don't watch any cycling. I don't know Jim Walmsley, the ultra marathon runner, the swimmers I know from the Olympics. And then there are just a bunch of athletes I've never heard of so it was really cool to read about what they do um but some i was surprised by like luka modric is like very small but when you read about how far he ran in the world cup was incredible plus he became a fan favorite of mine during the world cup because i was rooting for croatia once yeah he's he's a great player yeah he is and i love playing with him on fifa but to, I don't really argue with the Saquon Barkley at number one because if you just look at him or just Google his thighs, it is ridiculous how fast I'm he is. Sure and, as big as my waist. Yeah, and how powerful and fast and quick and agile he is. So there's nothing really I can argue with that. I guess maybe the only thing other athletes have on him is like crossfitters might be stronger and stuff but just his combination of everything i don't um really argue with and for the women's side same kind of deal i don't know a lot of them just because i don't i don't watch a lot of women's sports but you know maybe i should change that but simone biles is i I don't really have an argument there you know what she did on it the olympics was pretty incredible Uh, your man novak djokovic yeah, I mean, he is, I mean, he's fit too, but I mean, I'm okay with the list as well, actually. Um, I don't know about Giannis being so high, but I was okay with Saquon and then Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, yeah, I was okay with that. I think also, though, I don't think they have enough hockey players on there, because uh, what they have to do is pretty, like, you need, you have to be, have good legs and upper body strength for that. Um so I think hockey players should be on there as well. Uh, I know Connor McDavid's up on that list, but he's like high he's, teens though. Yeah, he's not that low. Um, so that's my only complaint. I think is hockey players. But other than that, I was okay with the men's. The women's, I was okay with. I, I think Simone Biles is pretty like incredible actually. Like she's she's built. Like she's fit. Like I just I think that's a good pick. Um, like, and what Michael said, like, what she did in the Olympics was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I was okay with both of them, actually. Yeah, one thing, another thorn. Tommy Caldwell comes in at 15. He's a rock climber. How do you have Tommy Caldwell and not Alex Honnold? Who right? Is... I said Tommy Caldwell, and I was like, okay, where's Alex Honnold? He must be coming up. So are those both climbers, guys? Because I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, Alex Hunold is the first person and probably the only person who will have free soloed El Capitan, which is a 3,000-foot rock face in Yosemite without ropes. Jeez. Like, by himself on the wall. Like, the amount of, the amount of, like... I mean, it, I could talk about it, but John and I could probably talk about it forever. But it's like an absurd feat. Um, so he was climbing for four hours. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I think, for me, I agree with what you guys said about the women's list. 
Uh, I definitely like the diversity in it because it's like, what is it? Uh, it really just depends on like your definite, the, the definition of fitness. Like you could look at Saquon and say like, yeah, like he's, you know, muscular and, um, he sprints, and, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, and you could, you know, you could say that like his, his thighs are boulders, you know? Um, and you could say this, this is fitness. Um, but then you can also look at, you know, these, like, um, help me out with the name, um, the marathoner. Jim Walmsley, Elliot Kipchoge, who set the world record. Yeah. You know, he, th- this little, like, twig of a man, but he can run, you know, he could run circles around Saquon, I'm sure. And, you know, he's not going to be as, as good of, like, a sprinter maybe, but, like, he can, you know, Saquon will be out of breath, you know, after after a big play, they go over to the sideline and get oxygen, like, that's the other thing, is, like, the, the duration and, you know, your endurance and all that stuff, it's just, like, it's such a hard thing to, to really judge, um, so that's why I was surprised that, I don't know, I, was, I wasn't, I don't necessarily disagree, because, like, who am I to say, like Saquon, you're not the fittest man on earth. These there's five right. know, professionals that they pulled to to get this list together. Um, I just it's apples and oranges, you know. Right, and it's, you can say that even within a sport. Like, let's just take track and field. Usain Bolt versus someone like Mo Farah or Matt Centrowitz, right? Like, obviously Usain Bolt's going to beat them in the shorter distances, but. Matt Centrowitz could, might, I don't know if this is accurate, but could he lap Usain Bolt in a mile? I mean, Usain Bolt's probably fit enough to not be lapped, but still, Matt Centrowitz is going to beat Usain Bolt in a mile run. So, it it, it is complicated. Uh, one thing I will say is, I don't watch a lot of women's sports other than in, like, the Olympics, the World Cup, or... I don't even watch the Women's World Cup, but mostly the Olympics, and I'll watch women's volleyball because I played volleyball and I like watching volleyball, but I'm sure I, like, if it's on, maybe I'll turn it on next time because they're, like, especially if you watch the CrossFit games, those women are unbelievable. Yeah, and I think the last point I have on this one is Shelby Houlihan, who is uh, a U.S. Olympian as a runner. Her teammate, Emma Coburn, is nine, I think, on that list. And Shelby Houlihan has just crushed world records and American records, so I think she should at least be on the list when I don't when she didn't make it. Yeah. That's last I got to say on the fittest, pe- fittest athletes in the world. Yeah, I just thought of something. Like, Katie Ledecky was on the list. Yeah. Her dominance in swimming is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I've tried doing 300 meters of swimming in a row, and I'm, like, dead. But she's killing 1,500 meters, 800 meters, but even the shorter distances, too, which is pretty unbelievable. So, What number is she on the list? I think she was f- top five. Yeah. The other one that I don't get is uh, Serena Williams for tennis. Why she's 10? She, okay. Well, that was she, the men's one, too. Like, she's built and she's strong, but she is not in shape. If you watch any of her matches... She's, like, dying by the end of them. She's so exhausted. Yeah, well, tennis is a really tough sport, too. It is, but, like, most other tennis players don't look exhausted. (laughs) Like, Serena Williams does. I don't know. She yells a lot. Right, but to her credit, she's very good, despite of all that. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, there are people more fit than her, but she's destroying them, so. Oh, yeah. All right. um, We're going to roll into... uh, the NBA a little bit. Talk about James Harden. Um, someone someone want to tweet out this list so everybody can check it out if they want? Okay. I can't. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, so Roland wanted to talk about James Harden. Which is good, because we should talk about James Harden, because he's been pretty unbelievable um, as of recent, what, the last month, the past few weeks, what? Uh, I'm not really 
sure because, like I said, I'm, I'm not a huge follower of the NBA yet. I think with this podcast, we'll start to do that a little bit more um, for research purposes, you know? Right. Um, but uh, I just couldn't, like, we had to talk about this. Um, so James Harden uh, right now is, he's actually playing tonight, so it might change. Um, but he is on his 19th consecutive game with 30 plus points this season so so he's played 19 straight games and he's scored 30 points or more uh in those games um which you know is i was about to say that some of the some of the some of these games he's scoring um almost more than other other teams combined um the, so they actually played on Saturday, which uh, broke the streak. But he was also on a two-game streak where he was at 50-plus points. So on Saturday, he only got 48. So that streak was broken. Um, but over this over this uh, this 19-game run, he is averaging 42 points per game, uh, and including four. 40-point triple-doubles. Um, I think a lot of this, uh, it's not really a secret. Defense in the NBA isn't what it should be. Um, but it's still an absurd uh, statistic. So, Yeah, so I, I do follow the NBA, but I don't watch a lot of it. Be- one, because there's just too many games to follow, and the game's different in the playoffs. But um, I will say, I don't think there's been a score like James Harden since, like, Kobe, maybe. Like, Kobe had a ridiculous run at one point. He scored, like, 60 in one game, 50 in, like, three in a row, and then the 81-point game. The thing about James Harden Harden is very talented, obviously. One of the greatest scorers in the NBA. But a lot of them, I don't know if I... I'd be stupid to say I don't want him on my team, but a lot of his points are unassisted. So, like, one, it just shows how talented he is, but also I don't know how sustainable it is because if you're doing all the work for your team, like, you're going to tire out by the end of the season and into the playoffs, which I think we saw happen last year. Yeah. But also, I watched the Rockets play the Lakers on Saturday. I think it was Saturday. And the way they were guarding him, they were forcing him to go right like, they wouldn't square up. They would be on his left shoulder, left hip, basically preventing him to go to his strong side, forcing him to make a play going right, which he did, but they just it's just a different way of playing because they would allow him to go into this middle where they had help, obviously, where he could dish it out or do a floater or something. So I don't know how effective it it was, but I just thought it was so interesting to see a team defend him like that because of his dominance of late. Yeah, and uh, one of the things you the Kobe you said that it reminded you of Kobe. He actually was the previous um, record holder for this like streak. He had sixteen games uh, with thirty plus points. So. Okay. James Harden has shattered that, um, but yeah, it's still. James Harden, he uses that third arm hidden under his beard. Yeah, he <laughs> switches out between, between during timeouts. What he's done is pretty ridiculous. He's definitely taken the NBA by storm. But for me, I I prefer watching the basketball. Like it's cool to watch someone go off for like fifty points, right? But I I enjoy, and this might be me being more old fashioned, but enjoy like the ball movement, like the Spurs. Um, like when they beat the Heat, that ball movement, I just think it's fun to watch. Like on Instagram, when you see highlights and they're just like, look at this ball movement. Like, I think that's cool, but it's almost as if it doesn't happen a lot anymore. So it's such a rare occurrence to see ball movement like that with the NBA moving to a more ISO and three point game. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Is he? He was the MVP of the of the league last year, based on, you know, this run and where they are, 
are at right now in this season. Is he your, your league MVP this year? If I mean, right now, probably, but yeah, I don't... I agree. But him being MVP, for me, doesn't make him the best player in the league. Definitely. So, yeah. that that's a yeah. different podcast day, but I think... Uh, value, yeah, value comes from points scored, and with all the points that he scored, value, baby. Yeah, well, and, and he's also, like you said, he had 40-point triple-doubles. He's getting involved in rebounding and uh, assisting, so... He's playing very well. So, um, if we're good on that, I, once the NFL season ends, I think I'll get more into NBA, so we'll talk about that more, um, especially when LeBron comes back from injury. But uh, we need to watch the clock here, make sure we don't have technical difficulties like last time again. But we actually had a fan question um, from TJ. Thank you for this question. He asked us, what is the most difficult moment we had as an athlete? Anyone want to go first? No? John? John? I think the most difficult moment, I was in high school. I think uh, part of it was, you know, I could go to ultra marathons that I've run recently or training for several now. But when I broke my hip in high school, Not only was that physically painful, I was leading my thousand, so an indoor track, there's the thousand meter run compared to the 800 and outdoors. I was, you know, one and two back and forth. I was on track for a great PR and my growth plate separated from my pelvic bone and I ended up just walking the last quarter mile, just hobbling and there's internet video of it it was so awful it was really painful and embarrassing it to go through like six months of physical therapy but it was just so embarrassing and very painful to go just emotionally to go lay just on the physician's table and get iced and then to i mean have to watch i watched it online the next day oh it was embarrassing yeah (laughs) difficult moment to overcome an injury but you know came back had a really great you know, senior season, and but yeah, that was the most difficult time. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go with my freshman year of high school. Uh, when I went to high school, I found out they had a hockey team, and I I wanted to play hockey so badly. So my older brother and I decided to play hockey. Uh, so the toughest moment was catching up to all the athletes like on the hockey team because all these players have been playing since they could walk so i think just having to play catch up uh from like your ability to skate to shooting and passing and things like that so just having to adapt quickly to the game uh was probably my toughest moment cool um we could do that or when xavier michael and i played the mount st mary's seminarians in volleyball my heart rate was skyrocketing for that yeah, hour. That was crazy. <laughs> so before Roland and I go, I'm actually going to make sure we don't get cut off again. So we will be right back. All right, everyone. We have avoided technical difficulties, hopefully. So we'll obviously see, obviously find out when we publish this. But uh, Roland, do you want to go? Do you want me to go? Um, I can go. All right. Uh. So, I don't know. I'm kind of between a couple different things. Um, Some of them is probably just because it's more recent. Um, One of the funny things, actually, was on my time hop today, um, there was a tweet that I had sent out like four years ago or whatever, talking about how hard it is to train for an Ironman. Um, And I didn't do an Ironman that year. I, I didn't. Uh, I don't remember what happened, but we ended up not being able to, I think that was, uh, yeah, that was, so that was freshman year of me training to do it my sophomore year, and there was a big hurricane that came in, and that, that race had to be postponed to another weekend, and I couldn't make it. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely, you know, you could pick, actually, I think my, I want to say my second Ironman was was harder than my first, 
Um, it was because the, my first Ironman, we had another storm that, that weekend, and the swim got cut off. The bike was shortened a little bit. Um, so I just, all we had to do was 100 miles on the bike and then a marathon uh, versus the 2.4-mile swim and then the extra 12 miles on the bike. Um, so I think doing the Ironman uh, this this past uh, my my senior year of, of college was uh, was a lot harder because I was already tired from the swim. Um, it was a little bit windier on the bike, um, and you know the training that that goes into that. Um, you know I didn't train as hard as I should have. Um, and I, my training especially got, you know, kind of cut off a little bit when I go back to school. Um, so I think that was a, it's just such a hard mental barrier to kind of get through. Um, especially on the run, um, when you've been racing for, you know, 10 hours already and you still got half marathon to go. Um, it's like a really, a really hard place to be. Um, and I think that's, that's probably it. Um, one of the things that, that I'm thinking of the other, the other thing is, um, for some of you might know, uh, I was, you know, doing some training to take a, a physical screening test with the Navy. Um, and, Basically, that's it, it's for me to get into this special program, um, and you have to do a 500 swim, 500 meter swim. You have 10 minutes to change out, and then you do as many push-ups as you can do in two minutes. Take a two-minute rest. As many sit-ups as you can do in two minutes. Two-minute rest, uh, and then as many pull-ups as you can do, and then a 10-minute rest. Um, and then you do a mile and a half run. Um, and that was, I, so I had been, you know, taking these, these PSTs, um, for about six months ish, uh, you know, give or take every, every three weeks or so. Um, and it was just a, like I had, had some, some problems with the run um, and the push-ups and stuff, and it was, it was a really hard thing, like, I have a, I had, like, a set deadline that I had to make these standards by, and, um, I didn't make it, so, uh, it's still kind of something that I'm, like, struggling with right now, um, you know, I haven't seen, like, that overcome, overcoming of that obstacle right. yet um so it's you know is it as hard as doing an iron man uh maybe not <laughs> but the recency bias uh seems to be a theme um this weekend so uh yeah i think that's that's why i have to yeah so. so before i go could you just tell um our listeners what an iron man is like oh, what yeah. it consists of um, yeah, so an Ironman is a triathlon. It's an ultra-distance triathlon. Um, so what you do is, uh, in a normal triathlon, you swim, and then you get out of the water, put on, like, your bike shoes and your helmet and stuff, get on the bike, uh, and then you bike a certain distance, and then, you know, you change out of your bike shoes and into your running shoes and all that, and then you run a certain distance, and then it's a race. Um, so an iron, there's a bunch of different levels. There's, you know, shorter distances, and then there's uh, the Olympic distances that you'll see at, in the Olympics or in international series of uh, triathlons. Um, and then, and they have those races available as well for everyone else. It's double the size of a sprint. Um, and then there is half Ironmans which is half the distance of an Ironman. And then I won't get into all the numbers specifically, except for the Ironman, which is a 2.4-mile swim. 
and then a 112-mile bike ride, and then a marathon. So uh, you have 16 hours uh, to complete it. You start bright and early at 7 a.m., uh, and you have until midnight to cross the finish line. Um, it's, it's a very challenging thing. Uh, it, they do a national championship in Kona, Hawaii, um, every year. And it's always, I think it's on NBC every year. Um, it's really cool. It, it's changed a, a lot of people's lives. Um, and, you know, triathlons have, have like grown in popularity, um, really just since the 2000s, but it's still kind of like, like with cycling and stuff, it's kind of a niche community. Right. Um, so, so how many have you completed? How many Ironmans? I've done two. Nice. So, for my, I kind of have two hardest moments as an athlete. Um, one's more serious than the other. So, the first one, I'm going to go with the less serious one, is playing the seminarians in any intramural game. Anyone yes. at Mount St. Mary's can confirm that playing the Sems is probably the hardest match you will have on a regular basis. And like John had said, there was my last semester at the Mount, we were playing beach volleyball. It was me, John, Zay, and Chris Homick, and from point one, it was ridiculous because there was me. I had played in high school, and I had helped coach the girls' volleyball team, so I was obviously very into volleyball. And then there was another sem. There was a sem on the other team who had played club at University of Maryland. Very talented, um, big hitter, good, great passer, all-around player. And just from point one, he hit one at me. I dug it. I hit one at him. That was the first point, and it just went on for three sets, and we ended up winning. So that that that's one. Um, but on a more serious note, it was my senior year of high school. I was uh, I sprained my ankle very badly. Like I had jumped doing a vertical jump, landed on my foot wrong, and I I should have broken my ankle, but I didn't. So and that was like a week before track season had started my senior year. So for like three weeks through practice and meet I was hobbling through it and I I was rushing back because it was like my senior year so I didn't want to like miss anything but if you looked at my times and my jumps especially my jumps I couldn't clear like 410 when I had cleared 510 the year before um so just coming back from that injury was definitely the hardest um for me uh so thanks TJ for that question we love answering um any tweets, questions from listeners and audience members? Uh, we hope to get more of them because I think they're definitely fun. Give you a little more insight to us. And we're going to wrap up this podcast with our favorite sports moment of the week. I'm just going to go ahead and start. I, I wanted to say, honestly, was the Patriots-Chiefs game. But, um... It's downloading on my Xbox. rolling. I want to say the Chiefs-Patriots game because it was such a good game. But then I was on Twitter that night, and I saw... I tweeted it on our Twitter. Todd Gurley had a moment after his game where he is... He's one of the most talented players on the Rams, probably their best offensive player. And Josina Anderson asked him, you didn't play in the third quarter, were you hurt? And he just goes, he goes, no, I didn't play good. And I should I didn't deserve to play. I just thought that was so cool how this professional athlete, highest paid running back, is humble enough to know that he's not playing well and that he, one of the best players in the league, doesn't deserve to play. I just thought that was a great moment for young athletes to realize that they are not above their team. So that's yep. it. Nice. Uh, I'll go with mine. Um, I guess the whole, I think this happened, what, yesterday or two days ago, maybe? Uh, I don't know, it's bigger on Pittsburgh, at least, but the whole, what, Antonio Brown put on, I don't know, what, Instagram or whatever, the whole thank you to Pittsburgh, but this isn't goodbye, I thought that was an interesting comment from Antonio Brown, um, so, I don't know. Many people in Pittsburgh are speculating what he meant. Um, I still think he's going to leave. So I don't know what's happening. 
but I just thought that was an in- interesting post by Antonio Brown. Yeah, and that situation is becoming very interesting, so we'll tweet about it if anything comes up. Obviously, I'm sure it'll be blown up way before any of us tweet it, but we'll we'll tweet about it um, yeah. and then talk about it on the podcast after something happens. But it, it yep. seems like something something's going to happen. It would be I think it would be weird if nothing, like if he wasn't traded. Yeah. So, yep. Roland or John? I touched on mine before, but quickly. Jim Walmsley, ultra, he was ultra runner of the year, running a 64, which is, I think, a 453 pace per mile for 13.1 miles to qualify for the Olympic trials. Shakes up the sport of ultra running, shakes up the sport of running in general. Yeah, we'll that that's just it's ridiculous because... The fastest time I've ever run is a 4.56, and I was 16 years old, and that took everything I had. So for him to run a faster pace for 13 miles than my one mile is very, it's incredible. That's all all you can say. Yeah. Um, So for me, um, I, up until yesterday, mine was, uh, right after we finished recording, um, Syracuse Duke basketball game oh. was insane. Oh, yeah, that, that um, was this week. It feels like so long ago. I know it was right after we finished recording last week's podcast. So I was like, it still counts as this week's. Like, I mean, did you guys see that that um, full court shot that they hit to try and to send it to overtime? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this, if you haven't seen it, the Syrac- Syracuse first off. Zion Williamson, beast. Um, but our Lord and Savior here. But Syracuse sent it, you know, sent it to overtime with a full court heave, uh, and somehow it went in. Um, and then they went on to beat Duke in Durham, uh, so at, in North Carolina uh, to to win the game. Um, I thought that was crazy, uh, but I think. Um, after seeing yesterday's games and just how how great and how close they were, um, that I don't know that that has to top it. But I still wanted to give it kind of an honorable mention. Yeah. So. And uh, it, it's funny after I I think it was yesterday, maybe right after the game. Roland, your brother tweeted at us. It was just like my favorite sports moment was the Patriots win. So uh, yeah. definitely, yeah, anyone can definitely interact. Tell us their favorite sports moments. Um. But yeah, another great week of sports. Hopefully, we'll talk about this uh, next week. Hopefully, this the lead up to the Super Bowl isn't overhyped, and that we get a, another great game. So, like always, thank you for listening. Give us a like on Twitter or a like on Facebook. Favorite on Twitter. Retweet our tweets. Retweet our podcasts. Um, anything helps. Send us anything you want us to look at, and. Um, we finally have a closing song at some request. I'm not going to get this podcast taken down because of copyright issues. If anyone watches Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know this tune. But until hey. next week, we got the memo. We'll see you guys then.